Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Well, we tried. We tried to find a good martini for you today after coming up empty on Thursday. We were unsuccessful, but we do have two very important bad martinis and a really crazy one as well. All of them courtesy of the, I'm sorry, the first and the third courtesy of the Biden administration and the bad one courtesy of Republican infighting, which we'll get to in just a moment. But uh, Jim, a lot of different adjectives used to describe Joe Biden's speech last night about the, the soul of the country. It's supposed to be a unity speech where he demonized uh, millions upon millions of people. Uh, let's get to a few of these clips here. Uh, he's decided that he's going after Trump personally here and MAGA Republicans apparently poll tested well among Democrats and maybe some independents as well. And so he's decided that this is the greatest scourge that faces the United States right now. Too much of what's happening in our country today is not normal. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. So it's this existential threat to our democracy, which very quickly turned into a policy speech, too, even though he wasn't actually accurate here. MAGA forces are determined to take this country backwards, backwards to an America where there is no right to choose, no right to privacy, no right to contraception, no right to marry who you love. But after, uh, you know, demonizing millions of Americans, Jim, uh, it's time to make sure we don't look at other Americans as the enemy. Democracy begins and will be preserved in we the people's habits of the heart, in our character, optimism that is tested yet endures, courage that digs deep when we need it, empathy that fuels democracy, the willingness to see each other not as enemies but as fellow Americans. Well, that's a bit contradictory. And finally, a lot more politics. We can see the light. Light is now visible. Light that will guide us forward, not only in words, but in actions, actions for you, for your children, for your grandchildren, for America. Even in this moment, with all the challenges we face, I give you my word as a Biden, I've never been more optimistic about America's future. Not because of me, but because of who you are. We're going to end cancer as we know it. Mark my words. We're going to create millions of new jobs in a clean energy economy. We're going to think big. We're going to make the 21st century another American century. Jim, I, I, I'm reluctant to say this because I know how much my family name means to me, and I'm sure yours does to you as well. But after Joe Biden gaslit us last night and has for the past 50 years, his word as a Biden means virtually nothing to me. So we didn't even get into the staging. You can talk about that as well. But uh, just, I mean, this speech from, from top to bottom was not unifying. It was about as divisive as you get. I, too, had debated whether to get into the my word as a Biden, you know, because after inflation is transitory, you're not going to see helicopters taking off of the U.S. Embassy in Kabul. Uh, I have faith in the Afghan army. Uh, you know, Biden's word, he really seems to think that giving you his word as a Biden should change the way you see things. Oh, okay, well, if he's giving us his word as a Biden. Well, then we know that. It's, and also he's saying he feels really optimistic about the future of the country. Well, great. But it doesn't really matter if the president feels optimistic. The question is, you know, how do the American people feel about the future of the country? Um, 
But at the core, the problem of this speech, in a way, illustrates the problem of the contradiction of the Biden presidency and the contradiction in Democrats, more or less since the moment uh, Donald Trump, you know, descended from that escalator to run for president in 2015. Joe Biden wants to be the great unifier, the great uniter who gets America back to normal and who leaves Donald Trump and everything that goes with him in the past. But at the same time, he also recognizes that he won because he wasn't Donald Trump and that his best shot for his party's continued success is to elevate Trump and to insist that, you know, he makes that throwaway line about uh, good Republicans that are out there, but you know, like they're good Germans, you know, uh, but the Republican Party effectively is Trump. And in other speeches, he's remarked that the Republican Party is semi-fascist. Greg, you can't give us the rhetorical equivalent of Sherman marching through Georgia and then turn around and insist that you want to be Abraham Lincoln and we must not be enemies. You have to pick one. It's, it's, it's bad enough when you go from one speech to another and you flip back and forth on how you see the, you know, 77 million Americans who voted for uh, Donald Trump last time and the you know tens of millions who voted for him the first time. In the end, and this is actually the Democratic Party's argument since going back to the emergence of Trump. On the one hand, they want to argue Donald Trump is a unique threat to our republic, a unique danger to democracy, that this is not just the standard political division. This is not just the usual ideological divide that he represents an aspiring autocrat or dictator, that we are seeing a uh, cult like menace, a terroristic threat, that all of this is completely outside of the usual politics. But they also believe that what is considered so out of line and unacceptable and an inherent danger to the American Republic includes opponents to abortion, includes people who believe that, you know, marriage is between a man and a woman. And those aren't the same things. You can't say, Republicans, you have to turn against the current, you know, de facto leader of your party. You must turn against him because these are not normal times and this is not a normal man. And then turn around and say one of the things that makes him so bad are mainstream Republican views like being pro-life or opposing gay marriage. You can't. You just can't. And the entire presidency, Democrats have tried to play this double game and Joe Biden has tried to play this double game. And it doesn't work. Oh, by the way, it also really doesn't work when the backdrop looks like uh, Supreme Leader Snoke's throne room from the <laughs> Star Wars movies. And in a very strange way, the, the god-awful work by the Biden advance team, like it fits because it took Independence Hall, arguably the single most important location in the founding of this country. If you want to say Lexington and Concord, I get it. If you want to say Trenton, you want to say something else, I'll get it. Bunker Hill. Uh, Yorktown. All right, I'll, get, I'll give you that there's other ones. But clearly, Independence Hall is a fundamentally important location in what made America what it is today. And everybody, every, every American who's cracked open a school book can recognize it. I hope everybody in America gets a chance to visit it. It's right across the street from the Liberty Bell. And he made it look scary and menacing and frightening, right? If you, if you, the, the, you know, strange way, the terrible backdrop and symbolism fit the tone of the speech which is that these things that are actually kind of normal, like I, there are a whole bunch of stuff I disagree with with these so-called MAGA Republicans. Do you know what? They have a First Amendment right to say it. This, the Constitution completely protects your right to say things that other people object to. Now, if you break the law, it's a different story. 
But saying these things is not a crime, and they don't deserve the president of the United States denouncing these things. And oh, by the way, the president of the United States should not be flanked by Marine guards when he is giving what is indisputably a partisan speech, and that he concludes by telling people, vote, vote, vote. This was a campaign rally, and the Pentagon has very clear regulations about when military personnel can and cannot get involved in partisan political events. The president himself violated those Pentagon regulations by being flanked by those Marines. Which, oh, by the way, I don't know why they had to be there. And that was one of the things that made this such an odd, off-putting, um, and, and you know, arguably even un-American type speech. In a way, it is speech that Biden was convinced he was standing up against things that were un-American. Um, the only silver lining that I can think of to this, Greg, is that... Uh, uh, I think this will backfire or not help because it had such a glaring contradiction. I think it's going to get lost in Labor Day weekend. The three main networks didn't even cover it live. Uh, the cable channels did, of course, um, probably because they got a whiff of the speech and realized it was going to be a partisan speech and um, they didn't want to cover it live and they perhaps had more lucrative programming going anyway. Uh, two quick exits here, Jim, one at a time. Biden desperately wants Trump to run here. He's trying to goad him into the race here, right? Because he realizes that that's the only thing the Democrats think they can win on is because Trump's negatives are really high, too. And so if they don't have Trump to run against, they don't have a lot to run on other than perhaps, depending on who the nominee would be. Hey, he was too nice to Trump. Yeah, by the way, it does say something odd that Biden thinks he has to goad Trump into running for president. (laughs) I think Trump's pretty interested in doing that all by itself. I don't think you really need to, you know, oh, let's let's wave the red flag in front of the bull. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And here's the other thing. the It's always about protecting our democracy. We on the right often uh, try to make the distinction of democracy versus republic. And, you know, when you're in the middle of a story, sometimes you're like, yeah, there's a difference, but it's not worth getting into right now. I think this is worth getting into briefly uh, because of the difference between a democracy and a republic. Because in democracy, you know, straight up democracy, majority rules, whereas we have a system where the minority has rights. We talk about it all the time in the Senate with the filibuster uh, and even in other uh, ways in our government as well. Here's what Corinne Jean-Pierre said yesterday from the White House briefing podium. Again, we see majority of Americans who disagree. And so when you are not with where majority of Americans are, then, you know, that is extreme. That is an extreme way of thinking. If you're not with the majority, you are extreme. Jim, this is going in a bad place. You know, it appears we could always have the argument that Karine Jean-Pierre was not the sharpest knife on the drawer. But this is where it kind of gets into this, this this misperception starts getting into very dangerous areas because you'd love to see somebody, you know, try to pin her down a bit more. So when does your position become extreme? Is it when it's you know, 51, 49? Oh, 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 no, that's not something. OK. How about 60, 40? How about 70, 30? If, you're, if your viewpoint is shared by 20 percent of your fellow Americans, are you extreme or are you just in the minority? How, you know, we, we can go down the list of every issue and every position of both parties and figure out which one is, quote unquote, extreme. The second thing is, is here is the, you know, my colleague Kevin Williamson wisely once put it on, uh, uh, I think it was on Bill Maher's program before Bill Maher became <clears throat> allegedly a good guy. <laughs> and he had made the argument, the bill, you know, he said, but very succinctly, he said, the Bill of Rights is everything in our country that is too important for your idiots to vote on. And the audience didn't boo him. He kind of had this strange connection where all of a sudden they kind of realized 
we don't want Americans voting on whether there should be freedom of speech because there's always a chance at some point, 51% or more might say, ah, oh, yeah, freedom of speech is dangerous. You know, you could, there's hate speech. You know, you shouldn't be allowed to say that stuff. The Second Amendment, the Fourth Amendment regarding, you know, searches and seizures. All of these things are too important to be left to a national uh, ballot or referendum, right? That's why we have a constitution. That's why we have a Supreme Court. The legislative and the executive branch can do things that seem like good ideas. They may even be very popular, but that in the end, they violate the Constitution, and thus they are wrong, even if they are popular, right? That's at the heart of this, and this, this, you know, what makes the Jean-Pierre comment so asinine. Popular things can be wrong. Popular things can be bad ideas because the people do not realize it, you know, they do not realize the consequences. People are not great at looking around corners. They aren't great at recognizing the consequences of their actions. If they are, if they, we were better at this, we'd probably be closer to utopia. But we don't. And that's what's at the heart of this thing. And I think there is this, um, people, somebody else noted that implicit in that criticism of Biden yesterday, he's denouncing five Supreme Court justices as part of this same menace, as part of MAGA Republicans, which I think is a, you know, so in order to save democracy, he has to attack the Supreme Court. In order to protect the Constitution, he has to denounce the judicial branch. I think most of us can see the glaring contradiction there. No, he, he's desperate for votes, but he's going about it in a very dangerous way, to be sure. Uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre, uh, have a seat briefly. Uh, grab a cup of water and, and, and take a breather. You'll be back in our crazy martini. <laughs> but uh, uh, in the meantime, she can, uh, she can rest a little bit. All right, on to our bad martini number two, Jim, and this time it's the Republicans in the spotlight. Uh, we have talked about how, you know, the 50-50 Senate, given the atmosphere right now, should be decent uh, ground for Republicans to take back the majority this year. But the seats that are open are not necessarily conducive to that. Uh, we saw in 2018, a uh, bad year for Republicans. Republicans actually gained in the Senate, thanks to the Kavanaugh fiasco and just the seats that were available. Now... Things are looking a little bit tougher for Republicans in this cycle because of the seats that are open and the seats they have to defend. Uh, it wasn't that long ago that Mitch McConnell, the uh, Senate Republican leader, of course, was talking about how, you know, we need to be smarter about picking candidates that are more electable to a general election populace. Rick Scott is the chairman of the uh, NRSC, uh, basically. He's uh, the, the campaign wing of the, of the Senate. And he is not liking Mitch McConnell very much right now. In an op-ed for the Washington Examiner, he says, Unfortunately, many of the very people responsible for losing the Senate last cycle are now trying to stop us from winning the majority this time by trash-talking our Republican candidates. It's an amazing act of cowardice, and ultimately it's treasonous to the conservative cause. Giving anonymous quotes to help the Washington Post or the New York Times write stories trashing Republicans is the same as working with the Democratic National Committee. If you want to talk about the need to raise more money to promote our candidates versus the Democrats' terrible candidates, I agree. If you want to trash talk our candidates to help the Democrats, pipe down. That's not what leaders do. And Republicans need to be leaders that build up the team and do everything they can to get the entire team over the finish line. Ultimately, though, when you complain and lament that we have quote-unquote bad candidates, what you are really saying is that you have contempt for the voters who choose them. Now, we are at the heart of the matter. Much of Washington's chattering class disrespects and secretly, or not so secretly, loathes Republican voters. So, Jim, I think there's 
quite a bit of tension between these guys. I think Rick Scott, if he's not running for president, certainly has designs to be Republican leader in the Senate. I don't know if either of those are going to get much traction. But uh, I think he has a point about Mitch going public with his dissatisfaction with the candidates. But I'm not sure blasting Mitch publicly about Mitch talking publicly and badly about the candidates is doing any good either. This type of infighting on Labor Day weekend, uh, when things are very much uh, on the line, uh, not a good situation for the Senate Republicans right now. So I have a theory about this, Greg, and I can't 100% confirm it, but I think it fits what else we know about Rick Scott. Uh, first of all, let me say that I, I generally like him. Um, I got to interview him at some heritage event. Uh, I think he was a very successful governor of Florida. And I think, in fact, I don't think I'm this, I think this part is the least controversial part of my theory. I think Rick Scott loved being governor of Florida. I, I think he relished that job. I think he's a natural executive. I think he's a, a, a detail guy. And maybe it was never clearer than when he was coordinating responses to hurricanes with his Navy hat going out and inspecting locations and putting out public service announcements and doing the briefings and stuff like that. I think that's what Rick Scott was just born to do. And I think there's some part of him that if Rick Scott could have been governor of Florida for the rest of his life, he would have been happy doing that. Alas, he was term limited and he could not uh, remain in the job. He passed, uh, you know, he ran for Senate, won. Ron DeSantis took over, and I think fairly early in Ron DeSantis's term, there was another hurricane bearing down, and Rick Scott kind of went back into his old form of doing briefings and putting out stuff on social media. And look, is it you know, is it okay for a senator to do that? Absolutely, but it kind of was almost like he was stepping into his old role there, or something. So Rick Scott, you know, he's. I, I wonder if on some level, when you go from being the guy running the state government, being in charge, who oh, by the way also like had a surprising amount of appeal by the end of his term to a decent number of Democrats and independents who actually would say, well, okay, on stuff like the hurricane response, he was pretty darn good. Rick Scott goes from being the guy running the state of Florida to one of a hundred senators. And I imagine that's probably, if you're a guy who's used to being in charge, it's not as appealing. So maybe, yeah, I almost certainly Rick Scott would like to be in charge of something again. And he chose to be the guy helping coordinate the Senate campaigns for Republicans. And at the beginning of this cycle, this looked like a sweet gig because there's always a backlash against the president's party. There were a whole bunch of states that were up that were generally friendly territory to Republicans. It looked like Republicans were going to have a great year in the Senate. And Rick Scott could be the guy who says, hey, I got us back in the majority. And then we had the primaries and things didn't go quite so hot. And one of the complications is that Peter Thiel, who is a like a fascinating thinker and a libertarian who's generally got his heart in the right place on a whole bunch of issues, started supporting guys like Blake Masters, who uh, if you want to support these guys in the primary, okay, hasn't done a heck of a lot to help them since they got into the general election. And I think I don't think I'm being mean when I say Blake Masters has been a pretty disappointing general election candidate. You've also got Mehmet Oz. Uh, J.D. Vance, I think, is turning around. And I think that uh, Herschel Walker is not out of it. In fact, he's kind of starting to have very tiny leads in the polls. But when you add it all up, this is a challenging crop of candidates, in large, but if for no other reason than they've never done this before. When I say they've never done this before, not only have they not run for statewide office before, they've never run for anything before. Uh, and, you know, rookie candidates tend to make rookie mistakes. Doesn't mean it can't be overcome. But all of a sudden, Rick Scott has a much less appealing gig as head of the Republican effort to win back the Senate. And so obviously, he doesn't want to get the blame for it. And so the easiest answer is to find somebody else to be the blame 
and Mitch McConnell is just sitting there. Now, Mitch McConnell is giving millions of dollars to J.D. Vance or to help out J.D. Vance. I shouldn't say he's not giving to the campaign. He's running issue ads, you know, uh, to help out Mehmet Oz, help out Herschel Walker. And by the way, rather glaringly, not Blake Masters. I think it's an indication that McConnell sees Blake Masters as a sinking ship that can't be salvaged. So you lay all that out. You know, I, I have a hard time begrudging McConnell for pointing out the obvious. We do not have your typical former state attorney general who's run statewide and won, who's got this great record, can run ads talking about all the drug dealers he's put behind bars, et cetera, et cetera. It's a tougher, more steep uphill climb on this cycle. Does this mean I like McConnell griping about it? No, but let's remember, this was a very carefully worded, vague comment. It's not like McConnell went out there and trashed all these candidates. I think Rick Scott is looking for a scapegoat. I don't think it reflects well on him, but in the heart of it, I think Rick Scott wants to run something, and this is this cycle is just not turning out the way he hoped. How about instead of figuring out who to blame in November, you actually work together to try and win so you don't have to shift the blame? <sighs> Both of them. No, you don't need to do any of this in public. If you, if you don't like your candidates, fine. Talk to people behind the scenes about that who can maybe drag them across the finish line anyway. But to go to the media about it for either of these guys is ridiculous. On to the crazy martini now, Jim. And Corinne Jean-Pierre, come on back into the game. We need you again here. Uh, so this is for uh, education policy now. Because there was a report out uh, from the National Center for Education Statistics that shows nine-year-old students' reading and math scores have dropped dramatically over the last two years. Big surprise. In 2022, this is according to the Free Beacon, the average reading score for nine-year-old students declined five points from 2020. The largest drop since 1990. Average math scores for 2022 fell for the first time in the program's history, dropping seven points from 2020. Uh, and of course, you know, the lockdowns, the distance learning, not being in school at all for, for a stretch there, uh, certainly a major problem. And Jim, you and I talked ad nauseum, probably in the minds of some people, about um, the just maddening efforts to open schools and the teachers unions, Randy Weingarten in particular, getting in the way. At the LA Unified schools wanted Medicare for all and a bunch of other Democratic wish list items at one point before they started opening. The teachers union actually convinced the CDC to change its policy on recommending schools opening. And now we've got this total smokescreen going on about how the Democrats are, are, are blaming the Republicans for this. This is yesterday. Corinne Jean-Pierre explaining, no, 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 no. The Democrats wanted schools open. It was Republicans, actually, that wanted them closed. Here's what she said from the White House podium. Let's step back to where we were uh, not too long ago when this president walked into this administration, uh, how mismanaged uh, the pandemic, the response to the pandemic was, uh, how 47 percent of schools uh, were uh, in, in less than six months, uh, our schools went from 40 46 uh, percent to, to open to nearly all of them being open to full time. That was the work of this president. And that was the work of Democrats, in spite of Republicans not voting for uh, the American Rescue Plan, which $130 billion went to school to have the ventilation, to be able to uh, have the tutoring and, and the teachers and being able to hire more teachers. And that was because of the work that this administration uh, did. Oh, Jim, the Republicans didn't vote for the COVID recovery plan that had very little to do with COVID recovery. That's why they were officially uh, the ones dragging their feet on this. Jim, I, I can't imagine the American people are going to fall for this. They know 
who wanted them open and who wanted them closed, and to try and uh, claim that Republicans were the were the sticks in the mud here because they wouldn't support the Biden agenda is insane. Greg, she says forty seven. She increased from forty seven percent to almost um, all schools in a six month period while Biden was in office. That means 47% were open when Biden took office. How did that 47% get open? <laughs> was, was it all the Democrats pushing, oh, we got to open them up, uh, and the Republicans saying no? Oh, okay, all right. So it was, the work was close to half done by the time Biden put his hand on the Bible, right? That, that's, that's the first thing we should keep in mind here. The second, they want to get credit for it. Now, obviously, you know, a lot of that happened because of the rollout of the vaccines, vaccines that were started under the Trump administration and then distributed largely, although not entirely, under the Biden administration. I really wanted somebody to press her on this to say, so you're saying the Republicans who um, were apparently anti-mask, the Republicans who apparently didn't take the virus seriously enough, the Republicans who kept reopening, like the Republican governors who kept reopening their states, reopening businesses, um, all the, you know, all these, wait, all these things where they were getting endless grief from Democrats over. Those were the de- Republicans who you said were trying to keep schools closed, right? Is that is that what it was? Was was it Republican governors who were opening up strip clubs but keeping the public schools closed? Actually, it was not. You know, um, you know take a good hard look. Let's let's look back to the Glenn Youngkin uh, uh, campaign of a year ago, right? This you know. The, there are plenty of examples of this. Which, which places were the last place to open? Chicago public schools. Any a lot of Republicans organizing and running the Chicago public schools? <laughs> Maybe the, the fun ones that were attacking Jesse Smollett. Are those Republicans? Okay. Um, all the Democrats who, who you know, like, it's a complete inversion of what was happening. And I, the, I, I like that every American parent remembers uh, this fight that we had. Having said that, the one thing I will note about this is that one, if, if the Democrats emphasize this enough, there is a chunk of their base that will believe they were always pushing to reopen the schools and the Republicans didn't want to reopen them. Again, I don't remember wh- why were Republicans trying to keep the, the schools closed? You know, I, you know, okay. Admittedly, once people saw what was in the curriculum, maybe some Republicans were less enthusiastic about having public <laughs> schools reopened once we saw that. So. Um, but I also kind of wonder whether Glenn Youngkin was extraordinarily lucky that the election was in November 2021 and not November 2022. Um, look, other issues have come along. Inflation, the border, stuff like that, food prices. This may be replacing the importance of reopening the schools. And I just kind of wonder if that fight in late 2000, or late 2020, beginning of 2021, uh, in my neck of the woods, the schools reopened in stages in March of 2021. You know, this th- did that happen too long ago to influence the 2022 midterms? And if so, I think Republicans will just be fuming that they had this issue in which they were 100% on the right and the Democrats were 100% in the wrong. And unfortunately, the election is too far afterwards to have enough of an impact and for them to get credit for it. Jim, we need a break. Uh, There actually is a Labor Day episode of the Three Martini Lunch. We've already recorded it, and it's going to involve, once again, 
your questions. You submitted so many great questions that we had more than enough to uh, chew over. And so make sure you tune in for that on Monday and then our back to our regular fair on Tuesday. So have a fantastic Labor Day weekend. Remember, he's Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already and tell a friend about us as well. Thank you for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. Get Jim's new book, Gathering Five Storms, his short story, Saving the Devil, and follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Labor Day weekend and join us on Labor Day for the next Three Martini Lunch. Hey guys, we know it's hard to keep up with all the news these days, but don't worry because we're here to talk and laugh about it all. Woke culture is being pushed onto our kids in schools. Midterm elections are quickly approaching, but the red wave is not guaranteed. And our meet and greet in Tampa is just two weeks away. Hey, it's the Chicks from the Chicks on the Right podcast. Download and subscribe to our daily podcast to hear us pick apart and pick on the news of the day. Politics to pop culture, nobody's safe, but it's all fun. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.